Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to another session of uh, GoToMeeting. It's really nice to uh, be with everyone. And as we were talking there before we got started, uh, this time of year here where I'm at, it's very, very beautiful. And here we are just a, a few weeks now beyond the Feast of Tabernacles, heading into uh, later fall and winter. So I want to uh, talk today about uh, acknowledging our sins. You know, acknowledging our sins is a very important part of repentance, isn't it? Being able to acknowledge our sins also uh, has an effect on our conversion. It has also a direct effect on salvation because God desires that all of us, when we have sin in our lives, that we are examining ourselves, that we are acknowledging sin within our lives. So let's turn back, if we would now, to Romans, the third chapter. And in Romans, the third chapter, I want to read just verse 23, Romans 3, 23. It says here, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, yes, we know in this spiritual walk we're on with God and Jesus Christ and walking with each other, uh, from time to time, sin does come up in, within our lives. And it's important that we recognize that and we know that. Where, you know, even after uh, baptism and being in covenant, we know uh, we will still sin. But we all sin. All of us sin. And come short of that glory, the glory of God and Christ. And, you know, we look forward to a day where we will be changed and we won't have this carnal mind and, and physical body anymore, but we'll have a spiritual body and a, and a completely spiritual mind. And, you know, as it, Paul talks about there in Corinthians, we'll, we'll be able to see uh, God face to face at that time. Let's uh, continue this thought about sin. And yes, we do sin. And go back to 1 John, the first chapter. 1 John, the first chapter. First John 1 and verse 8, John writes here, he says, If we say that we do not have sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, you know, brethren, we, we can't say that we don't have sin because all sin. And certainly as John writes here, the truth would not be in us because all of us know God's word with the spirit dwelling within us. We have a better understanding of the spiritual things. And the truth of God is, as we know, that this uh, mind we have, uh, this nature we have is inherited, isn't it? It comes down through Adam. And that's the truth of God's word. And we know we have this, yet we fight against it. But that's that's part of the inherited nature we have, don't we? So that is truth. And if uh, if we didn't understand this, then the truth would not be in us. But we do have that truth. Now, he goes on to say here, if we confess our own sins, uh, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, yes, God's word is within us. And we know Again, we struggle with these things, sin. We do have sin within our lives. Let's go back to 
Romans now, the sixth chapter, six. And we know we, we cover this a lot when it comes to counseling for baptism, and we review it a lot after our baptism just to give us a, a reminder of what the expectation is after we're baptized and we enter into covenant. But I want to read in verse 14, it says here, For sin shall not rule over you, because you're not under law, you're under grace. So we, we don't want sin ruling, do we? within ourselves. We don't want sin to rule within ourselves, and we don't want sin to be ruling also within the church of God and the body of Christ. Again, because we're under grace. And being under grace, we have the help of God's spirit dwelling within us, so we can rule over sin, right? Because after we enter into covenant, you know, we, we know that we are no longer servants to sin, but we become servants to righteousness. That's what we strive to do is live life righteously. So then, you know, sin, sin will occur in our lives from time to time. But God's grace, the grace of God, God's spirit working within us helps us to see sin and repent of it. Right. The God's grace leads us to repentance. Well, an important part of repentance is what we're going to be talking today. It's acknowledging our sin. Do we acknowledge it? You know, acknowledge means that we accept it, that we admit it. We admit that it exists. We admit that there's a truth of it. So when we come before God and acknowledge it, we, we know we Tell God, God, this does exist within me. I admit this. This is something that is true. God, and I acknowledge it before you. That's part of repentance. That's an important part of this spiritual walk we're on, to acknowledge sin in ourselves before God. Let's turn back to Psalm, the 32nd chapter. Psalm 32, we're going to read uh, the first five verses. It says here, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And we know how that happens, right? Again, through repentance and accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior for the forgiveness of sins. It says, blessed is the man who, into whom God does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. So, yeah, we, we don't want imputed iniquity into us, do we? we? But, you know, we yearn for the imputed righteousness we have, through again, through Jesus Christ. It goes on to say here, when I kept silent, my bones wore away through my groaning all the day long. For by day and by night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as it is in the heat of summer. Salah, or, th or think on this. Have you ever been in that situation yourself where there was something you did within your life or something you were involved in, um, and you knew within you it wasn't right? There was something you needed to do right? 
God's hand heavy upon us, God's spirit within us working, revealing something to us that we needed to acknowledge before God and repent of. So I'm sure all of us have had that feeling. There's something here within me that I need to take care of. Verse 5, he, he goes on to say here, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isn't that wonderful? Here David writes, you know, I confessed it. I acknowledged it. Repentance. And God forgave. And that's what we need to continue to remember. That's what God desires that we all come before him. And when we have times in our lives where we fall short, we acknowledge those things and move on with repentance. Let's go to Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, in verse 13, it says here, He who covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Right? That's, that's true repentance. Confessing our sins to God, again acknowledging, and also forsaking. A change is made, and those shall have mercy. Mercy shall be shown to those who do this. So we don't want to be covering up sin. We don't want to be trying to hide our sins from God because God's very aware of, of what we do, right? So the person that does that, that wants to cover and hide and not acknowledge, uh, they're not going to prosper. They're not going to prosper in the spiritual things. But as long as we're willing to do this, brethren, you know, come before God and repent, we are going to prosper. We're going to prosper spiritually. And why? Well, we're going to be closer to God and Jesus Christ when we do this, as we again cleanse ourselves and start building more of the mind of God and Jesus Christ. We're going to be closer to them spiritually. We'll prosper from that. Will always prosper from being spiritually close to God and Jesus Christ. Well, it mentions here mercy, and God continually extends mercy to us when we approach Him, doesn't He? Let's go to uh, Jeremiah, the third chapter. See what Jeremiah writes. Jeremiah 3, and I want to read, starting in verse 11, and it says, And the Lord said to me, The backsliding Israel has justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Go and cry these words toward the north and say, Return, O backsliding Israel, says the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful says the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. 
But there's a condition here. In verse 13, it says, only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your ways to strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. So God is merciful God, isn't he? And he's telling Israel here, Judah, that he is merciful, but the condition is you need to acknowledge what you're doing and you need to come to me. Keep my word, keep my law, and then God will accept that, right? And they could be in right standing again with God, and so can we. So can we. But the thing here is to remember is God, God is a merciful God. Very merciful. And he's very quick to forgive our sins if we come to him the right way. So we're going to review some examples of those in God's word uh, in the message today. And what we'll just say that uh, there's some examples of those who did well at acknowledging sin. And then some examples of those who did not do well at acknowledging sin and see the outcomes and what happened because of that. You know, we know in God's word, a lot of the examples we have, uh, by far the most examples we have are those who are leaders. Those who are expected to be leaders, kings and priests, ministers, elders, those who are in a position to lead. Those are a lot of the examples we have in God's word for those who, um, as again, we'll cover here in this message that showed acknowledging sin and didn't you know sin within leadership i'll just say this when you have sin within leadership in the church it presents a really big problem doesn't it and why why does sin within leadership present a problem well it's because the leadership has a responsibility to teach the truth. The leadership are very influential people. They have the ability to influence God's people in a really good way, a positive way, or also in a negative way. And we look to leaders within the church to guide and lead us towards Jesus Christ and God the Father and the truth. That's the responsibility of a leader. So that's why it's a problem when you have sin within the leadership in the church of God, in the body of Christ. Let's go back to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, and God, uh, through Paul, talks about leaders. So I want to go to Hebrews 13. In verse 17, it says, follow your leaders and be submissive because they are looking out for your spiritual well-being. Now, that's, that's something to take note of there. 
We're talking about leaders here that are correct leaders before God and Christ and before the brother. You're to follow them because they're looking out for your spiritual well-being, right? As those who must give, be ready to give an account to God in order they, that they may do this with joy and not with groaning because that would be unprofitable for you. So spiritual leaders within the church, the ones we're asked to follow our leaders, you know, are they leading? Are they truly leading? Because leaders within the church should be again leading us to God and Jesus Christ. That's the leadership that Paul said you need to follow, right? Those are the ones who are truly looking out for your spiritual well-being. So it's something we need to pay attention to. Yes, we are to follow our leaders and have respect for them. But it's based on what they are doing, right? Paul talks about this, and he makes this real clear in 1 Corinthians 11. So let's, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and see what Paul said of himself. Because Paul certainly was a spiritual leader for the church. And look how much that he wrote for us through, through inspiration of God to be reserved and canonized in the Bible. Paul makes it clear here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he said to be imitators of me. Exactly as I also am of Christ. And so Paul was an imitator of Christ. You know, he he received his instructions directly from Christ. So that's what he strove in his life was to be an imitator of Christ. And so he asked, hey, you you imitate me, but it's as I'm imitating Christ. Right. So that's what we need to be looking for is characteristics like that, where we see leadership, hopefully imitating Jesus Christ. And we get that through God's word. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians, then the first chapter, and we'll just read one more uh, scripture referring to this. In 1 Thessalonians 1, and we're going to read 5 and 6. Paul writes here, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit and with great conviction, even as you know what sort of men we were among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having accepted the word and in, uh, in much persecution with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So they knew what kind of men Paul and the others with Paul, you know, Silas or Barnabas or. Mark or Timothy or Titus or whoever it may be, Luke, uh, they knew by the example Paul and the others set that these were men of God. And they came to them by word, the truth. They came to them by power. They came to them through the Holy Spirit, the inner working of the Holy Spirit. And this was seen among the brethren. They knew this. What was at work here? It was visible to all. And it's the same for us today, brethren. You know, we, we should see the fruits and leaders in what they're doing. Well, we can look to spiritual leaders 
as our example, again, as long as they're following God. And like us, all of us, you know, leaders, ministers, whoever it may be, they have sin, too, within leadership. But their responsibility is, again, to acknowledge those things and to repent and change. So like I said earlier, I wanted to look at some examples in God's word of of leaders and what they did in acknowledging sin or not acknowledging sin. So let's look at a couple examples of those who did not acknowledge sin and what it caused. Let's go back to Samuel. We're actually going to look at in the book of Samuel for a couple examples here. And the first one, we're going to go back to 1 Samuel, the second chapter, if you'll turn back there with me. We're going to look at the example of Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, they were um, priests of the lines of Levi, right? And so priest unto God, we all know the responsibility they had to be faithful to God and God's instructions for the priesthood and how they were to lead the nation of Israel. So 1 Samuel 2, and we're going to read in verse 22, and it says, And Levi was very old and heard all that his sons did to all Israel. And how they lay with the women who gathered uh, at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they they were not only doing this as Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, but they were also, we know, when it came to uh, meat that was brought to be sacrificed, they were taking of the best of some of that meat for themselves, right? So they were they were doing several things they should not have been doing right there in front of Israel. Also, right there in front of their father, Eli. And we know uh, earlier in the chapter what was said about his two sons. They were, they were worthless, worthless men. Eli goes on to say to them in verse 23, uh, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all the people. He says, No, my sons, for it is, not, uh, it is no good report that I hear you make the Lord's people to transgress. And that's the problem. When leadership sin and do the things they shouldn't be doing, it causes other people to transgress. It has an effect on people when the leadership sins, doesn't it? It hurts the faith of some. It sets a terrible example. And those who are weak, Maybe fall into that example, too. Even causes, sometimes we know those to, to leave. Causes divisions and all sorts of problems. But he says here, you make Lord the Lord's people to transgress by what they did, his two sons. Verse 25, it says, if one man sins against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who shall plead for him? But they did not forsake the voice of their, uh, they did not hearken to the voice of their father because the Lord desired to slay them. 
Let's go down to verse 27 then. It says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I plainly appear to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give to the house of your father all the offerings made by fire from the children of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice, my offering, which I have commanded in my house? Do you honor your sons above me? Do you make yourself fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? You know, Eli was allowing all this to go on. And he didn't do anything to stop it. And certainly within families, uh, you know, we have to make decisions at times, and we'll read that later on. But it's tough. But we have to put God first, don't we? Eli wasn't doing this. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father should uh, walk before me forever. You know, the responsibility of the Levites and the priesthood and what they should be doing, that was an expectation. And Eli knew this. He knew why he was in that role. He wasn't doing the job he needed to do. But now the Lord says, far it be from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Right? But those that think little of me shall be lightly regarded. So that's that's what we want all want to be doing, right, is honoring God, honoring God. And he will honor us. But certainly if we thank God in his word and the truth, if we take it lightly, then we'll be regarded lightly. Let's go to chapter 3, and we'll just pick it up in verse 11 of chapter 3. So we know that God was working with Samuel, and he was a young man there. And, yeah, you think of Samuel. Um, he was given to God, and God used him mightily, and he grew up there, and he grew up around Eli, and he grew up around Hophni and Phinehas, and he saw all these things happening. But yet he stood in favor. Samuel did, even as a young man there, probably a child here. He stood in favor with God, and he stood in favor with man. He was doing what was right, and God was working with him. So it's a that's another an example for us. You know, even in these situations, um, God works with everyone. And we don't have to be a part of that, as certainly as God worked with Samuel. In verse uh, 11 here, it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, uh, which both the ears of everyone who hears it shall tingle. In that day I will confirm to Eli all that which I have spoken concerning his house. And when I begin, uh, I will also make an end. For I told him that I will judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, it did not, and he did not restrain them. He knew. He knew this wasn't right. He knew that was vile. He knew that was his job as the priest to take care of these things. May not have been easy to deal with his own sons. 
but that was his responsibility. Verse 14, it says, and therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Then down to verse 18, uh, we know that God told Samuel what was going to happen. And so Eli asked Samuel, hey, convey to me all that God said to you. So Samuel did. In verse 18, it says, Samuel told him all the words and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord to him. It says, let him do what seems good to him. So really sad here, the attitude of Levi or Eli, excuse me. You know, Eli could have done something about this, even at this point. You know, God's a merciful God. Eli could have acknowledged this. And he he could have went before God. And he could have repented. And he could have taken care of his sons. But he chose not to do that. He chose not to acknowledge what was going on. And I think it's pretty interesting what he says here. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Well, really, what a terrible attitude. He had reached a point there now where um, he wasn't acknowledging God. He just said, basically, let let God do what seems what seems good to God. Well, we know what happened. He lost his life. And he allowed his sons to take the ark to go fight the Philistines, and they lost their lives. And, you know, it didn't have to be that way. But that's where he got to. That's the mind he got to because over time he did not acknowledge the sin going on there, the sin going on with his sons, the sin going on with himself. He didn't acknowledge that, and he eventually came to that mind. So none of us want to get to that mind. That's why it's so important, again, that when we have these things go on our lives or when these things are happening within the leadership in the churches of God, they need to be acknowledged. Let's go uh, to Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 15, and we'll see another example of someone in King Saul, again, that did not acknowledge what he was doing. First Samuel 15. Now, we won't cover the read everything here going on, but we know the account here given to us that uh, Saul was given some really clear instructions. He was to go to the Amalekites and their king Agag, and he was to totally destroy everything right completely destroy it you know the the people didn't he was not to have any respect of anyone he was destroy it all even even their animals right but he didn't do this he disobeyed you know he kept alive agag and he kept alive the best of some of their animals 1 Samuel 15, 10, we'll break into the story here. And it says, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, it repents me that I have set up Saul to be king 
for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So Saul turned back from his responsibility. What was his responsibility? Well, he was the king. He was anointed to be king over Israel. He was anointed by Samuel, directed by God to do that. He turned back from that, from that responsibility, he was that anointing he was given to be king. And he did not perform the commandments of God. Well, let's go on now, as we're in chapter 15 here, to verse 17. It says, and Samuel said, when you were little in your own sight, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. We just covered that. But when he was little in his own sight, when he had a completely different mind or different attitude, but that changed over time because of the things he was doing, not following God, not keeping God's commandments to him. His mind changed. He was no longer little in his own eyes. He was no longer humble. But it looks like he probably started thinking a lot about himself and who he was. Let's go on now to verse 22. It says, Samuel said, does the Lord have a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And that's what can happen. If we're not following God, if we're not acknowledging our sin, if we're not repenting, then we get turned over to a different mind. We get turned over to this mind that Samuel pretty much told him where he was at. He was stubborn. He was rebelling. And as Samuel lays out here, rebellion's like witchcraft. It's a totally different mind. It's a mind that Satan and the demons have. That's his witchcraft. Stubbornness is like is a sin. Stubbornness is iniquity. Stubbornness is idolatry because you have your mind on yourself when you're stubborn. You're thinking about something else. You're not thinking about yielding yourself to God. Let's go on down to verse 28. So we know this had this had occurred in, in verse 28. It says, and Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And he's given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And we know that was David. And also the glory of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned. Okay, after all this happened and all these things were stated to him and brought to his attention by Samuel from God, he said, I have sinned. Please honor me now before the elders of my people. 
and before Israel and turn and turn again with me and I shall worship the Lord your God right your God so was this real repentance here well it looks to me like what Saul was requesting was Samuel go with him so in front of the people he may have honor not honor before God honor before God would have been to honor God with acknowledgement and repentance true repentance but this isn't what Saul was doing here you know he clearly referred to God as being the God of Samuel was it the God of Saul anymore so looking at God's word here it doesn't appear like that's not what was on Saul's mind anymore very similar to what we saw with Eli right where he just forgotten forgotten what his responsibility was and what he was supposed to be doing and certainly didn't acknowledge any of that well we have these examples and I've brought the two examples here of Lee Eli up and, and Saul up. We have these examples for us to learn from, don't we? That's why they've been recorded in God's word. Every word of these things that are have written down is for us to study upon and learn from. Let's go back to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, we're going to read 5 through 8. It says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, so that the generation to come might know the children which shall be born, that they shall arise and tell their children, so that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And so this is what God desires, right? That, and we'll, you know, I. I know we'll see this in the millennium with families, but a continual generation after generation of teaching and instruction, instructing in God's word and God's commandment and God's way of life. And that everyone sets their hope in that and they see the outcome of it, of blessings and joy and happiness. Right. But in verse eight here, it says, and might not be like their fathers. The examples we've talked about here, right? The fathers, the fathers that, you know, Paul talked about there in 1 Corinthians 10, that what the fathers did, they did, and it was recorded for an example for us. That they not may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation did not, did, did not set their heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful with God. So that's, brethren, something we all need to be considering. We don't want to be like them. We don't want to have that attitude where we're stubborn, we're rebellious. We don't make things right with God, you know, where our spirit's not faithful. So something to consider. Again, it's an example here for all of us because we want to be right with God. Well, God knows, right? 
when we're stubborn, when we're rebellious, when things go on within the church that shouldn't be going on, particularly when things go on within leadership in the church, those that are supposed to be examples to lead us to Christ and God, God knows what's going on. Let's go to Psalm 50. So when we read this in Psalm 50, um, we can apply this towards ourselves. We also maybe can apply it towards the church and what goes in with, on within the body of Christ. Psalm 50, verse 16, he says, But to the wicked, God says, What is it to you to declare my statutes and to take up my covenant in your mouth? It's a question. What is it to you? You know, think about Eli. Think about King Saul. What what was it to, for them to declare these things as leaders? Yea, you hate to be taught. You cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, then you were pleased to be with him. And you have taken part with adulterers. What should our part be in? Who should we take up with? You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. We see this sometimes within the church. Past and present. Shouldn't be happening. You sit. You speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have kept silent. So God sees, doesn't he? And sometimes God allows things to go on. He said, I have kept silence. God allows things to go on at times to see what's going to happen, what we're all going to do, our, our, where our hearts and where our minds lie. You thought I was like yourself. And that's what happens when we go against God. Our mind starts changing towards God and his ways. You thought I was like yourself, God says here. But I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces. And there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And he who sets his conduct aright, I will show him the salvation of God. Brethren, praising and glorifying God is acknowledging when we fall short in our sins. It is, and this needs to be happening within the church. In the church, because God knows. God knows. Well, I spoke earlier that we had looked at a couple of good examples of those that were leading within God's church that at a time where sin was involved, there was an acknowledgement of it and a repentance. Let's go to one of these in uh, 
1 Chronicles 21. So this is an account given to us here of, of King David and what happened with him. 21, and we're going to read uh, starting in verses 1 through 8. 1 Chronicles 21, 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now we'll just stop there and just recognize that, yes, Satan has his part in a lot of things that go on within the church. He is the tempter. And he loves to get involved within the church and take a foothold within the church and cause disruptions and cause problems. And cause a weakening within the body of Christ. Just like he did at this time. Just like he did to Israel. So any opportunity that Satan has to do this, he will do this. And we need to be aware of that. And who's behind a lot of these things that occur within the church. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me so that I may know. And Joab answered, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times. It's, remember, it's God's people. This was God's people. These these were people that David was responsible for as king, but they're God's people. But my lord, the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then does my lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? This shouldn't have been done. And you know, sometimes... We may get help from someone when we're ab about to do something we shouldn't do. And Joab was trying to maybe encourage David here. Hey, don't don't do this. They're they're your servants, King David. You know, you don't don't do this thing. Right. And at times we see that maybe an encouragement from from others within the church to say, hey, don't don't do this. Right. Change. Acknowledge what's going on here. You don't want to be doing this. Well, it didn't happen here. But the king's word prevailed against Joab. And Joab departed and went up and down all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. And in all Israel, there were one million and a hundred thousand men who drew the sword. And Judah, there were four hundred and seventy thousand men who drew the sword. But Levi and Benjamin, he did not count them. For the king's word was abominable to Joab, and God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. Right? David recognized it. I have done it. Now, but now I beseech you, remove the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So on, let's go down to verse 11. It says, and Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, choose for yourself, right? Either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes, while the sword of your enemy overtakes them, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even the plague in the land. 
and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the border of Israel. And now say, what word shall I bring again to him who sent me? And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. And boy, I, I tell you, I'd hate to be in this situation. But uh, David, David caused this. Let me fall now to the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. And we covered that back in Jeremiah, right? God's merciful. God's merciful. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and there fell 70,000 men of Israel. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And, and as he was destroying, the Lord looked, and he repented of the evil and said to the angel who destroyed, Enough, stay your hand now. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between the earth and heaven, and his sword drawn in his hand stretched over Jerusalem. And David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said to God, Did not I command to number the people? Even I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? See, David recognized he did this. He was responsible for this. They were his sheep, God's sheep. David was given a responsibility of king to shepherd the sheep, Israel. And he knew this because he knew what it was like to be a shepherd. I pray you let your hand be upon me, O Lord, my God, and upon my father's house, but not upon your people, that they should be plagued. So we'll stop there uh, in this account. But David, again, he acknowledged this, didn't he? And boy, what a penalty. You think of 70,000 men died. And you think about the effect that had in that nation, 70,000 men. Think about the wives that became widows. Think about the children involved. So this was a great sin and a penalty to go with it. But David acknowledged this was on him. He had caused this and he took the responsibility for it. You know, a question to ask in is what can be averted if we come to God quickly? and acknowledge our sins. What can be averted? Well, there was some advertment here upon Jerusalem, where God said enough to the angel there that was destroying. But it's something for all of us to think about. Ourselves or what goes on within the church, what can be averted if we quickly acknowledge what's going on? A quality of a spiritual leader is to acknowledge before God what's been done. But also, leadership within the church, they need to acknowledge it to the people. 
It's just not to God. When sin occurs within leadership, true repentance is they'll also come to the people and let the people know that something has happened, a sin's occurred, that they were responsible for it and they've repented. And they go to the people and ask for their forgiveness also. This is an important part of repentance within leadership, within the church. And we've seen in the past, those of us have been in the church a long time, sin within the church and things that weren't done correctly. And was there repentance from leadership? Well, I don't know. God knows. But I never saw repentance the majority of time towards God's people to ask for the forgiveness of the effect the sins had on the people and what it did causing many's faith to be shaken, causing some to leave and have doubts. Is this the church of God? So that's why it's important for leadership, again, to acknowledge sin and repent, but also come to the people and ask for forgiveness for the effect upon the people. You know, if things like this were done within the church as they should be done, what can be prevented within the church going forward? Well, we know quite a bit. Let's go to Psalms, Psalms 51. Psalm 51, and we'll read what David wrote here um, in, in 1 through 4. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. So this is David's example for us. He acknowledged his sin. He went to God. By doing this, it made it very clear where his mind was at with God. And it made it very clear how righteous God is in his judgment and in his word. Because God's word is true and his judgments and his laws are perfect. And they're set for us to follow. And we go against him, acknowledge him. We magnify God and his law and what he's doing. And have total respect for him, God and Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more account here. I want to go to Ezra, the ninth chapter. Let's go to Ezra. So we know in, in the book of Ezra here that um, you know, per the prophecies of Jeremiah, there would be a time of captivity, but 70 years, there would be an opportunity for some to go back to Jerusalem and build the house of God. And Cyrus allowed that. So here was this group of Israelites, those who had been or, those from Judah, who had 
been into captivity, allowed to, to come back and work on the house of God. And we know Ezra here was was a priest, right? A priest of God, a true, a true priest of God. Actually, Ezra um, you know, trace, definitely traces his lineage back to the priesthood. So in Ezra 9, verses 1, we see something recorded for us here of what happened. He says, now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, but they are doing according to their abominations, those of the Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites and Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites. They had really, as we'll read here, mixed themselves in with a lot of the nations that, you know, when Israel initially went into the promised land, God wanted those nations to be driven out. And he definitely didn't want Israel to be mixing in with them. For they have taken the daughters for themselves and for their sons. So the holy seed is mixed with the people of those lands Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers has been chief in this sin. So that's they had mixed themselves in with that. And we'll read here in a little bit what damage that causes when you mix yourself in with something that's not correct. And I think about ourselves and how we can apply this to ourselves. You know, we are a holy seed. We are the house of God that we are building continually upon the foundation laid by Jesus Christ, him being the chief cornerstone. So as we build this spiritual house, you know, we definitely don't want to be mixing in with other things or bringing things in to pollute the spiritual seed, this holy seed. We've got to be really careful about what we join up with don't we? So Ezra writes here, when I heard these things, I tore my garments in my mantle and I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and I sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the Lord of God of Israel was gathered to me because of the faithfulness of those who have been exiled. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from fasting, even with my garment and my mantle torn. And I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord, my God. And I said, oh, my God, I am ashamed. And I blushed to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have increased over our heads and our guiltiness has grown up to the heavens. Well, this is acknowledgement the sin of what was going on there with those people that had returned back. Since the days of our fathers, we have been in great guilt to this day. And for our iniquities, we are kings and our priests have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to the captivity and to the spoil and to confusion of the face that it is this day. And now for a little moment, grace has been shown from the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us strong peg in his holy place so that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our bondage, but has extended our mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set us up the house of our God 
and to repair its desolation and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments. So it goes on to talk about there what they had done. You know, God had given them instructions not to mix in with others because they would potentially adopt and take in some of the things that the nations did that were an abomination towards God, that were against God. So because of this, they separated, didn't they? They separated. And boy, what a tough time that would be. I mean, you you think about families and they had married in, uh, I'm sure had children, but this was brought to their attention and they needed to take care of this. Very tough situation. But nonetheless, they acknowledged what they had did and they separated themselves from those that had, they had joined up with. And sometimes, brethren, in our lives, we're going to face this, too, where there's some difficult times that we come across in our lives and we have to acknowledge things and we may have to separate. We may have to separate, but the separation is because we're on God's side. The separation is because we're following God. The separation is because we believe God. We keep his commandments. We keep his word. We want to please God. We love God. We want to keep God first. And that's why the separation occurs, because the others aren't of that mind. And that's hard. It's hard to do, but it's correct before God. So this was another example of someone in Ezra and also the people there. They acknowledged what they did, and they took care of it. And God blessed them for for doing that. So when we sin, and we all do, we need to acknowledge sin. We need to continually, all of us, be examining ourselves. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11 as we get near the end here. 1 Corinthians 11. We read this a lot during the Passover time, but uh, this applies all the time. 1 Corinthians 11:28. let a man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup accordingly. Because the one who eats and drinks unworthily is eating and drinking judgment to himself, not discerning the body of the Lord. For this very reason, many are sick, are weak among you, and many have fallen asleep. So you, we can look at this a couple different ways, right? Spiritually and physically, both. Because we're not discerning correctly the body of Christ we're not discerning God's word and his instructions to us correctly but if we would examine ourselves we would not be judged right but when we are judged we are chastened by the Lord so that we will not be condemned with the world because God doesn't want us to be condemned with the world God called us to be in his kingdom as first fruits So God wants us to be continually examining ourselves and where we're at and to discern ourselves correctly, to make sure what we're doing is correct with God. 
And if it's not, have an acknowledgement. Accept it. Right? Admit it. Repent and change. I want to be turning back now to Galatians, the sixth chapter. So we need to keep looking towards Christ because Christ is our true spiritual leader. Jesus Christ is our true spiritual leader, and we want to properly discern him and his body and what he has done for us as being our true spiritual leader. But back to uh, Galatians, the sixth chapter. We know that sin does occur within the church, the body of Christ. When this happens, we again need to examine ourselves and where we're at. Brethren, when sin happens within the body of Christ and it causes problems within the body, it causes divisions within the body, we need to continue to pray for one another, right? We need to continue to keep each other on our minds. We need to continue to have a mind where we're willing to forgive and have forgiveness also. Praying that there's repentance, that we all repent, that we all acknowledge what we need to acknowledge, that we all have proper discernment and proper understanding of what's going on, that our minds are in line with God's mind and Christ's mind. So we need to pray for everyone. Galatians 6, we're going to read 1 through 5, and and something important here is, again, to keep our minds on ourselves. Brethren, if, if a man be overtaken in some offense, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We have to consider ourselves and where we're at, because we can be tempted too. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But if anyone thinks himself to be something, and a lot of people at times can think themselves to be something, when he is nothing, well, that's truly all we are. We're really nothing. It's because of our calling and the grace extended to us through God and Christ that we have this understanding and the, and the opportunity we have. He's deceiving himself. But let each one prove his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and in not another one. For each one shall bear his own burden. So the point here, brethren, is we just continually need to consider ourselves, right, and what we're doing and where we're at. Because we can fall into problems and issues ourselves. Earlier, we talked about there in Chronicles, Satan standing up there against Israel. And he he wants to stand up against the church and take root in the church any way he can. He and his demons. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 2. And he works within the church. And he works through people. And he plants tares. 
And we know this in God's word. What I'm speaking here, we know to be true because it's in God's word. But we need to be mindful of this and what he does. But in 2 Corinthians 2, I want to read verses 10 and 11. It says, but to whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. And if I also have forgiven anything to whomever, whomever I have forgiven it for your sakes, I forgave it in the person of Christ. And that's how Paul forgave in the person of Christ and in, in how Christ would do it. Right. But there needed to be before that an acknowledgement and a repentance. And there was, as we'll explain here with the person being talked about here. But what I want to bring out is verses 11, so that we may not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes. And Satan schemes within the church of God continually, but we should not be ignorant of that and be outwitted by that. So here was this man we know back in 1 Corinthians 5 that the church had to put out because of his sin. But it looks like he came back and he had repented, a sorrowful repentance. But then we know the schemes of Satan, right? Where maybe when he's trying to come back and he's repented, then are the people judging? Are the people causing him to overly sorrow because of their attitude towards him? Not an attitude of love, concern, and care? Well, that was going on here. And Paul is saying, hey, just remember this. We don't we are not ignorant of Satan and his devices and his schemes. So in today's church, we need to be mindful of the same things and be very, very careful. And again, pray for one another, pray for repentance, pray that we can all be in the kingdom as first fruits to fulfill this calling. Well, let's go back to one more scripture and then we'll. We'll conclude the message. Let's go back to 1 John, the second chapter. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And yet, if anyone does sin, and yes, we're going to sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation, or we know that's a continual atonement for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, brethren, we should always reflect on this. We're going to sin, we're going to fall short, but if we acknowledge our sins, Admit them to God that they exist and have a true repentance towards God. We have this advocate for us, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God and our sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. We can remember this ourselves and we can also uh, admonish others to remember this also. Very important. So we can thank God and Jesus Christ for giving us this opportunity for Christ, for his sacrifice. For God's grace that leads us to repentance where we can acknowledge these things. We can thank both God and Jesus Christ 
and thank them for the opportunity we have then for eternal life.